Well, if you didn't know from everything around, all the Christmas music, the, the specials, the, <laughs> the song choices, the way people are dressing, it's Christmas time. <clears throat> and it's a wonderful time going back and remembering. I mean, every time we have communion, you know, we remember Jesus' death and resurrection and everything that it did. And Christmas time, it's, wow, what a sacrifice he made coming down from heaven to dwell among us for the time that he did. <clears throat> and he still dwells among us. But I want to take a look this morning at why Jesus was born. Why Jesus was born. Reasons why Jesus came to earth. And this isn't any sort of brain-busting revelation. I mean, the Bible is filled with these things. And uh, I've seen lists of, you know, 32 things, 10 things. You know, I, it seems like such an arbitrary number that people come up with. Uh, so I'm going to throw my own number in there. I, like, group things into nine categories. <laughs> but it's, there are more than what's on my list. And uh, there's so many reasons that we can find, even, even to you know, our individual selves, of why he came. <clears throat> but I'm going to take one that I think is first and foremost of all of the reasons of why Jesus came to earth. And that is, to do the will of the Father and fulfill it. I mean, above, above all else, I mean, God the Father said, you know, who shall I send? And Jesus said, send me, Father. You know, I'll go. So out of all the other things that could be, it's like his dad told him. I mean, he, he, uh, he asked him and he said yes to both do his Father's will and to fulfill it, and to be in unity with God the Father. Because they are one, God the Son and God the Father. They are one in purpose and mind, and it's seen in him and Jesus Christ carrying out the Father's will. John 6, 38. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Hebrews 10, 7. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. John 8, 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Matthew 5.17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to fulfill everything that the Father had planned. Down to the, like, the words that he spoke on the cross, he was fulfilling things that his Father had preordained. He wouldn't be God if he didn't fulfill all those things. I mean... 
so many people, there have been so many on earth that have come falsely, you know, in their own way, in their own, their own sayings, in their, in their own ideas. And they fulfill some things that are in Scripture, and then they claim a whole lot more than they do, and you find that, you know, they don't get this, and they don't hit that, and they don't, and it's easy. We have Scripture, you know, you can read back. That guy is not Jesus Christ. He's not the one chosen and sent by God. But Jesus fulfills, fulfilled everything and is still fulfilling until the end of days, of till there's new heaven and new earth. And then he still will be fulfilling. I mean, <laughs> they're of one mind and one body. Or, uh, sorry, one mind and of one purpose is what I meant to say. To do the will of the Father and to fulfill. And so he came down, and you'd think it would be wonderful to come down. If I, if it was me, and I, you know, I thank goodness I'm not God, I'd be like, I want a parade, you know? <laughs> this, is, this is quite the, you know, let everybody know. May, may everybody, and yet he came down as born. And there are reasons for that too. There are reasons why he came came that way, and we're going to get into that. Number two, a really, really big one. To save the lost and give eternal life. I mean, this comes up again and again and again in Scripture as one of the purposes that Jesus came to this earth. Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all except... Ex- acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Both those parts are really important to remember. You know, he came to save sinners and of whom I am, I am chief. You know, that is when you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, wow, it's easy to put yourself at the top of the list of I'm really glad he came. Hebrews 9.26, For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus' own words of why he came. And that's right after Zacchaeus goes through that amazing repentance and, and, and saving, and you know, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house, and it's like, this is why I came, right here. This is the example. This is the, this is the reason. <clears throat> Mark 2, 17, when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. No, he came seeking and saving those that were lost, that need a Savior. Not the ones that they think, I'm fine. You know, he came as a physician, as someone who is ready to help, and we have to invite that in. You know, you can't say, I need nothing, and Jesus step in and 
take away all of your sin and do it. You have to surrender. You have to admit. You have to repent. But that's why he came, is to allow that, to permit it, to have it happen so that we can be cleansed. You know, I may have come to nine in my own number, but, you know, what, at, at 90 and nine years old, the Lord came to Abraham, a- Abram and gave him a revelation that changed him. You know, in the ninth hour, Jesus is the one that said, you know, it is finished and did it all. That revelation, that opening of the way. You know, he, he came to bring us life. He came to bring us life. That also means, number three, he paid the price for us. Many people say he came to die, right? But he didn't just come to die. That's that's only partially true. You know, yes, everyone, well, almost everyone born of human beings has has died, except a couple in Scripture that that made it and were, were called up. But Jesus Christ didn't come just to die. That's, that's just part of what paying the price cost. If he didn't have to die in paying that price, God would have just brought him up. Think of at the garden, right? He said, Father, if possible, take this cup from me, which was the cup of everybody's sins that had to go upon him, and he had to take them down with him in death, down to hell, so that we have a way of getting rid of ours. It was just part of the payment. He came to pay the price for our sin, which involved a lot of pain and suffering, Far beyond, again, I've probably said this before up here, there have been plenty of people who have suffered absolutely horrible things on this planet, but nobody on this planet has ever taken the sins of every single sin committed upon them. That suffering and sickness of taking the full wrath of God for everything makes his suffering far greater than any suffering. It's like added to know that you're, I don't know, like totally put aside. God has turned his face from you. That takes the suffering to a whole nother level. And yet he did that for us. He came to do that from the beginning. It says, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, that he was a merciful and faithful high priest made like unto us to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. That he came down and was made like us in order to make that payment to order to order to open up a way that we can stand before the Father. 
<clears throat> John 12, 27. Now is my soul trouble, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. His own words. You know, I came to pay the price. Now, if there's extra, I really don't want to have to go through whatever is more than that, but I'm here for this moment to pay for everybody. <clears throat> Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He came <clears throat> to pay the cost. And not to stay down, but to raise in glory so that we can go too. He paid the price. He opened the way. <clears throat> now, today, I guess a very controversial subject amongst some is that Jesus came to save us, right? But he also came to what he said, you know, for the sick, to, to heal, to... There, there's lots of things that he said he came to do. But Christians can end up in hell. Christians can end up in hell. Now, Jesus paid that that doesn't have to happen, right? And I'm going to give several examples of how this is, but... First, to lay the foundation. Okay. There were plenty of Jews who claimed that they were righteous, like the Pharisees. Correct? And Jesus said, Well, you have no need of me. <clears throat> they knew God, they knew his commandments. They were following what they thought was what he had. And then there were other Jews who were living. Not so properly, but still just in as much sin. And they turned unto Jesus saying, I need this. I am a sinner. And he came and he forgave them and brought them in. Here on earth, while he was here, he was doing the very same thing. You know, people who believed in him, who believed in the Father, who were following him, he was declaring they were heading to hell. They knew not the Father, that they knew not those things. And yet, they had been given all those things. They, they had been told those things. They had believed those things. They were following those things. They were in the temple. They were Jewish. <clears throat> now, as it comes to us, as Christians, it said in Mark 2, 17, he called, but I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Hebrews 10, 38 through 39. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, unto hell, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So someone who draws back it says in Exodus 32, 33, in the Old Testament, Psalm 69, 
28 in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Revelation 3, 5, that people can be blotted out of the book of life. In Jude 1, 12, it talks about people being twice dead. Twice dead. Not once, you know, and then saved, and then it's all over. But people who were twice dead, they turn back. Now, how can this happen? If you look in Scripture, it's simple. I mean, even the demons believe and tremble before God, right? They believe, they know, they, but they live in purposeful sin. Jesus, uh, you see in these things that we're constantly, as Christians, as the book is written to, we're called to repent and come from our sin unto him. It's unrepentant, purposeful, living in sin that can take a Christian to hell. It's not someone else that can take us down. It's not anything else someone could say. It's us. It's our own life. <clears throat> and I am glad that God reminds of those things because it keeps me on track of I want to follow him. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I am a sinner. Right? It says the righteous man falls seven times. But what do they do? They get back up. They seek to walk with Christ. They continue. But what to say about the person who's, you know, living in purposeful sin, liars, effeminate, all those types of things, says that they're reserved unto perdition. <clears throat> Living in purposeful sin against Christ. So, for instance, like this. You go to church, you know Christ, you give him his life, you read in scripture that it says that you shall not commit adultery, there should not be any fornication, and you decide to live with your significant other doing all those same things right in his face. There comes a point where you're going to be cut off because you're not following him. You're not putting yourself, you're totally unrepentant for everything that's going on. <clears throat> and that can be with a multitude of things. Now it says in scripture that there are sins not unto death and sins unto death. There are differences between these things. I mean, yes, we all struggle with different things and, you know, we're seeking to follow him. And we're in his hand when we're doing that. As we are repenting, as we are following, he's forgiving and forgetting and drawing us on and little by little changing us. And you see, he came for that. He came so that we can have victory over sin. He came to make a way that we don't have to live away from him. We can live with him and in him and he be in us. He paid that price. And that's part of it. It encompasses a lot more than he just like, he paid the price that one time we pray a prayer and we're with him forever. He paid that we can follow him, as it says in scripture, unto the end. 
where it says not just once, in many places, those that follow unto the end shall be saved. <clears throat> now, again, this isn't like, if you're following him, you have to question your salvation. <laughs> I'm not, not saying this to, to, to do that, but if you're living in purposeful, unrepentant sin as a Christian, we got to go to God. We got to ask for his forgiveness. We got we to repent and turn from what those are, that he can cleanse us and keep that way open of communication between us and the Father. Our sin separates. But Jesus Christ opened the way. He paid the cost. And it is important to remember that just as much to be in wonderful adoration that he saved us. He paid the price that we can continually repent. We can continually be cleansed. Every day his mercies are new, as it says. That's funny. Why would his mercies have to be new every day if all we needed was one time? And you can see this in Scripture again and again and again and again and again. And he paid for that to happen. He paid for us. And he is so patient. It is amazing with me that every time I think about these things of how, like, he just doesn't strike us all dead. I mean, he is amazing and good and loving and he paid our way. <clears throat> I mean, the veil was torn upon his death at the ninth hour. <laughs> Just throw that in there, I guess. <laughs> uh, know what? He also came in order to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which gives us power to overcome sin which gives us power to live a holy life, which, according to Scripture, that he will tell us of the way we shall go, this way or that. You know, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus came to bring him. It's like we give gifts, right? And it says that Jesus rose again, and he rose and gave gifts unto men. One of those top things was the Holy Spirit. It was like one of the first, he was telling his disciples, like, when I go up, I'm sending him. This is utmost important. You know, it's the first thing I want you to hear. You know, this guy. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will pray to the Father that he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Jesus went up, to send down that Holy Spirit. He said, and wait for that Spirit. And he told them to tarry at Pentecost and to wait for them to wait for it to come down that they may have that gift. Galatians 4, 6. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his sons into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of his Son. The Holy Spirit. To come into our hearts where we can say, thank you, Father God, where we can have that ability, where we have that relationship because he can be in us. 
the Holy Spirit, which is also the spirit of adoption. Which, there's so many things that the Holy Spirit does and the gifts that, what a, what a gift that was given. And Jesus came to do that. It was one of the purposes he came to earth. He didn't come to go up and leave. He came to go up and send his spirit upon the earth. <clears throat> Number five, to bring light and bear witness of the truth, which if you've been listening, several of the other verses have already stated that very thing. I mean, the first chapter of John talks about how the word was with God and the word came and the word was light and the light was the light of men and how it like expelled darkness. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And I submit two things, that, that in Scripture, when you find out these things, where, when, you, when you're reading about these, about Jesus being the light of the world, that there's actually two things that he's talking about. He's talking about the light out of darkness of like understanding who God is, you know, being drawn from our sins and under him and having an understanding open. But also, I mean, lightened from darkness of like we're on this earth. Think about it. He says, for the love of many will grow cold. I mean, he came to lighten us from depression, from uh, when we're downcast, from where the things of this world, I mean, there's lots of pain and suffering because people get to choose. I mean, we're not robots. Many people choose wrong and that has consequences and that brings pain. But God also is light to save us from that darkness that comes. John 18, 37, Pilate said therefore unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, and to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into this world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. He came to bear light and truth. <clears throat> now, and I want to, again, make sure this is a point, not just our understanding and to bring truth and who he is and to be saved, but also for Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to do these things, which is the same thing that Jesus came and after he was baptized, he came and he quoted this verse. That this is the reason why he came. Anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And, you know, then he stopped there. And of course, at the end times, to bring the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort them that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, to bring light in darkness, to bring hope, to lighten our way, which is amazing because usually when you're downcast and everything's bad, you stop thinking about the Lord. 
He's not praying and you're like in this funk where everything is, is difficult and dark and you, you give your own interpretation of people's actions and, and you start getting into this place that isn't a great spot. But then you turn to the Lord. And like David, you're like, and then I went to the house of the Lord and saw the end of the wicked. I saw the end of the whole matter. I found his light. I saw his joy. I felt his presence. And it was worth it. It changed me. I went from darkness to light. And Jesus came for that. Just as much as understanding and letting us see him, but to bring us from darkness, even the darkness that tries to creep in from time to time. <clears throat> John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be to him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life to satisfy our deepest thirst. That darkness that can't be like gotten rid of can be overcome by the well of water of the Lord. Now notice it's like a drink, but then a well. So you have to keep it in you. You have to keep it bubbling up. You have to keep it full. Right? When you drink from a cup, it kind of like drops down. But he's saying this is like the cup that never, it's like, it's like a fish, right? A fish is always drinking. They're always drinking. They always have water. You know, they're, until you pull them out of the water. And then they're, you know, their mouth is going and you're like, oh, I caught the fish and everything like that. And then finally you throw it back in the water. It's like, oh man, I was thirsty. You know, it's that, it's that ever drinking presence, you know, being surrounded and in the Holy Spirit and in God the Father and, and always having that water to drink and keeping that well full, not pulling us ourselves out of the water so that we're gasping for air. <clears throat> Number six, Jesus came to destroy the devil and his works. Both the devil and his works. Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil. So he had victory over the devil. And then what's he say in other scripture? That you may trample the devil under your feet presently. He came to defeat the devil. And as we're in him, and we're filled with that water, and we're seeing his light, and he's paid the price that we can have power to trample the devil too. Because of him, not because of anything we could possibly do. John, 1 John 3.8 He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Both his works and the work that he tries to do in our life. Because he's gone down, but he's trying to bring down everybody with him. 
It's like that, that one person in a game that's losing. So like, if I'm losing, everybody's losing. And they try to bring down everybody with them because they're upset at the whole thing. Well, God just didn't come to destroy the devil, but his works, the stuff that's like trailing after him, the things that he's trying to do before he's sent to perdition forever. And God came to destroy that as well. <clears throat> Number seven, Jesus came to identify with his people and demonstrate things to us. Through his life here on earth, he was constantly demonstrating how we should live, how the Father wants us to live, how he intends for us to be, how he intended things to be, and yet to show that he's just like us and had to overcome temptation, fears, difficulties, pain, suffering. <clears throat> I, got, I heard... There was a lady once who once said, you know, Jesus was a man. He never gave birth. He, he'd have no idea what those pains are. And all I could think was, he birthed the entire world. Are you, are you kidding? How much more pain did you want him to take? <clears throat> think he was cramping up on the cross? I bet you. It was internal, external. It was spiritual, it was physical, it was, it was everything. And I, I, I get the argument, but wow, I do not see it. <clears throat> the pain and suffering that he went through was in like every way, shape, or form. And the father made sure he had to bring the wrath of everything upon Jesus to pay the price for us. Yes, he knows. Despite the fact that God said it, of course he'd know exactly how much pain and what it would cause and what it would feel like. He's the one that created it all, like he doesn't know. But if that were not the fact, Jesus came in the flesh to identify with it all, with all of it, with everything, to give birth to <laughs> what God's plan, to open up a way, to create a family, to bring the spirit of adoption, to birth sons and daughters, however else you want me to, to quote it from Scripture. <clears throat> so yes, he came to identify with, with everyone. I mean, was he not submissive? Was, was he, I mean, you got to think. I mean, he took it for men and women. He took it for all of us. He gave an example to everybody, not just like, only men can identify with Jesus. <clears throat> he came to identify with his people. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, which we already were quoting, but I want to continue with this. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. I mean, he became like us. You know, he took on the same pain, he took on the same temptations, and overcame. And what does his life also show? Not, not just that he identified with us, not only that he lived like us, not only that he had to <laughs> take the same pain, suffering, sickness, everything. But he came and also decided, I'm going to use my life to show you, you know, humility. What true humility is. He came to show how much he, his love was for sinners to turn unto him. His love for us. I mean, Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, the humility that he was shown. Uh, God's love for sinners. Simple saying, John three sixteen, right? Of why he came. He came as an example to show us how to serve. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To show what we're like, to show what we are to be, how we're to be servants. Now, was Jesus Christ a wimp? In no way, shape, or form. <clears throat> I mean, look, by himself, he chased out how many people do you think would be selling in the temple at any given time? And all the people buying and selling. And he was able, by himself, to drive them off. You're, if you tried to do that at a Walmart, right, I'm sure there'd be a couple people that would decide, I'm not going. Right? I mean, think, about, think about how people are. And yet, he was able, on his own, to clear out the entire temple, to overturn the money chain, and then... And them not to, like, destroy him right there? I mean, wow. And yet, as tough as he was, that allowed him to lay it down. I mean, the power that was in his hand to call legions of angels, and yet, to withhold. And yet, he's the same one that, like, released the Holy Spirit the amazing power of God to come down. He had that power, and yet he demonstrated us how to serve, like laying down many times our own rights, our own powers for others in numerous occasions. And even when he demonstrated his power, it was not for himself, but was for his father's purpose to show that his, who his father was and to seek and to save the lost. They might know who he is, come to him and be saved. <clears throat> I mean, he showed God's glory, grace and truth, John 1.14. He was both mercy and faithfulness. It says he was a merciful and faithful priest. And that's why he was made like unto us. Uh, as an example of obedience, of what true obedience to God is. I mean, at the same time, he said, you know, I can send a legion of angels. And yet, at the same, he's the same person that said, I choose to lay it down because it's the Father's will. 
Once again, it doesn't mean that everybody is weak and a pushover to all people. You know, that's, that's not what scripture says. <clears throat> I mean, at times, there are times we're called to stand up for others, which takes enormous strength and courage, by the way. Think about this, right? When there is an emergency and everything's going on and stuff's going bad, what happens to a crowd? They freeze and no one moves. And it takes one person enough to jump in and do something that breaks that over all the people. They start to move and they listen. Now, even in those situations, I, you know, I, I teach lifeguarding and certified to do all that type of stuff. And I've taken all these different classes for coaching and everything like that. And even as you come in, you still have to like tell people that are standing there watching. You have to make sure you point and you like tell who it is and they know what you're talking about to go and do certain things. And that takes strength and practice and determination. And yet other times you have to totally lay that down and do nothing. You know, there's times where I'm trained to do all that type of stuff and there's someone there that's trained higher and the only thing that I'm allowed to say is, hey, do you need any help? Because to jump in and start trying to do things my own way might mess everything up. And I'm not called to do it my own way. So there's, and there's so many things like that. You know, that's why Jesus says, you know, be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. You know, and that also brings me to point eight. Jesus came to bring peace and a sword. Let me say that one more time. Jesus came to bring peace, which is absolutely fantastic. And yet, it also says that Jesus came not to bring peace, but a sword. He came to bring both. And both are needed. The surgeon's scalpel, the judgment, the, the judgment, the, the, I guess the um, executioner's axe at times. And at the same time, peace. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. For he is our peace, who had made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us when that veil was torn. He made peace by dropping that. That we don't have this like, this, this, this veil, this broken spot, this spot where we can't go to God and just be at, at odds with our own sin and in, in pain and turmoil and, and, and have, uh, have lasting guilt forever. But he is our peace, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the anger, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, the anger, the judgment thereby, and came and preached peace 
to you which are afar off, and to them which are close. For through him we have both access by one spirit unto the Father. <clears throat> so we can be at turmoil, and there's times when we are. We're at a crossroads, or, or things are happening, or there's great difficulty, or there's animosity. And we can go to the Father who is peace, and he can bring peace to our minds and our, our, our persons and over our hearts and help us to make the correct decision and have peace with that, even though it may be very difficult. And there's so many people looking for peace. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. For he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. And what does this mean? Here he translates. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. It's putting him above all things. It's putting him above all things. Now, what's that mean? That's funny because you put him above all things and that actually makes you care about all the things, other things, more. It's a very odd, uh, it's a very odd sword. You know, he comes and he cuts away to where there's nothing left and you, you choose him above all other things only to hand you to care for all the other people. You know, to like as a husband, if you're putting yourself in God's hands, you're caring about your wife more than you ever could. About your kids. About the people you work with. Because he cares. And as he cares, and you go to him, he brings those types of things up. Guess what? I don't want you to think about yourself today. There's plenty of other people around you that I want you to care about. When at first you have to cut all those things off, right? With like a sword to be like, okay, Lord, I accept you above myself, above those around me, above what's happening, above my job, above my thoughts, again, above my customs, above whatever you want. You know, one of the weird things is that I came to that place with like track and field and sports and all those types of things. I was like, I'm going to be the best teacher. He's called me to be a teacher. He's called me to, the, to be teaching the public schools. That's what I'm going to do. And I went in looking for jobs with that, with that you know, thing. I'm going to be the best for God. I don't care about the sports anymore. I don't care about, about being the best pole vaulter or track and field or anything. I had given it all up. Be like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. You know what happened? They made me promise. Promise. To always put my stuff in to be a teacher. Or to always be a coach. I'm like, what? The Lord, is this what you want me to do? And the answer was, yes. Which many times, I've wanted to quit. And be like, uh, wow, it'd be easier just to be a teacher. And yet... It was a promise that I made, and he holds me to it. But I had, I'll tell you, it's given me more chances to pray for kids, 
to lead them in right directions, to like bolster them into their faith. I've had parents come to me and say, thank you so much for praying with my boy or my daughter because they, they, they saw it. And that, would I have gotten those chances if all I was was a teacher? No. Which is funny because he called me to give it all up only to be like, you're going to be a coach. What? Where did that come from? <clears throat> I thought I gave that all up. Well, there's times where he tells us there's a sword and it's cut and it's never coming back. And we have to assume that when we do it. Besides things like the things that are already in his word about like, if you don't care for the members of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. I mean, there are things in scripture that basically you give up but then you look at scripture and you're like, okay, I better care for them more than I ever have. Because that's what it says. And then other things, you have no idea if you're ever getting them back. But it's a sword to cut off, to purge, to cleanse, and it's for our own good. And it opens up so much more to us. So you can't just give something up hoping that it comes back. It's a sword. And yet at times... Stuff like that happens. <laughs> this is funny. Matthew, I, I don't know why I just keep giving examples here, but this is an important part. Matthew was a tax collector, right? And the Lord called him from his post and was like, Matthew, come on. And leaving that post, he would have been fired instantly. Would have been over. Now, he was good with money. He would have been able to, to do all this stuff. And yet, he wasn't given the books, was he? He wasn't the person that was the treasurer, was he? And what's funny is the one that was the biggest crook was. But, <clears throat> you know, Jesus was giving him the chance, but didn't give that back to Matthew in any way, shape, or form. He had to cut that off entirely, a sword. And yet, you think Matthew didn't have peace about it? The Lord is also the author of peace. He came to do that. And we can be at peace, sometimes giving up the things that we think we love the most. <clears throat> he came to bring peace and a sword. And that's how they work together. They work together. And number nine... <clears throat> I mean, the one that's, we can all, I mean, we can we try to keep this one all the time. He came to be king. He came to be king. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even from ever. He came to be king. Matthew 2 1 through 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. 
He was born king. Born king. And then what's it say in Ephesians 1, 20 through 22? That he was raised up and set at the right hand of the Father so that all things being under his feet, that he be the head over all things and to his church. And he came to be king of your life, of my life, of the church, of all things under God the Father, the author, the finisher of our faith, the one who has all power and authority, and it is in his hand. And in the Christmas season, we got to make sure that we're staying under his authority, that we're keeping him as king, which means to do those things that he did while he was on earth, to obey, to be humble, to turn to him in repentance, to try to, to seek to him, Lord, please help me not to live in sin. He is king to rule and reign, to be an authority, <clears throat> to be head over all things. So you could say this Christmas season, you know, the kings, I mean, it starts off with kings. You know, the kings went to go, well, actually, it doesn't start, it starts with finding out that Jesus was in heaven and he's coming down to earth to be amongst men. And then a star in the sky showed that the king was born. He came to be king. And he needs to stay king. That's the thing. Think about how easy it is just here on earth through earthly presidents and mayors and governors to want to stay under them. Now, we first and foremost stay under our king. You know, there are certain things that we obey him first. So someone's like, you're not allowed to pray to God and just be, you know, try not to chuckle at them. And be like, oh, I'm sorry. But God's the king first. And that's why you too have authority. And I will listen to what you say. But I obey him first. Um, I think some of the, uh, there were some of the early Protestant movement people who decided to throw it right in the king's face and irreverently treat them and brought some um, pain and suffering upon themselves that they didn't need to. And they needed to be more like um, Daniel and his three friends, which were saying things like, you know, I'm sorry, king. You are the king, but in this one thing, I can't obey you. You know, because I obey God, because I pray to him, because I follow him, I submit to earthly authorities. And, you know, that's just an example, I mean, of, of our hearts. Earthly authorities to, you know, how are we treating God? <clears throat> now, I'm sure you can dig and find more things of why Christ came. But those are the ones I felt to really bring out 
And you could tell, I guess I could separate them out even more. He came to be light. He came to be truth. But it seemed like they went together so much that I put them in a category together. So it can be 32, or it can be 5, or it can be whichever you want to put it into. But that's not the important thing. The thing is, as we're here this Christmas season, and we're remembering that Christ came to earth, that he came to be all those things. He came to be king of our life. He came to, to make a way for us to stand before the Father and be at peace. He came to show us what true humility is, what true strength is, what all these things. He came. And to keep us in those ways that we do not fall away and end up in an even worse position than we were before. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this Christmas season that is not celebrated everywhere, but reminds us of what you came to do on this planet, what you came to do on earth that made a way for us for all of eternity. Lord, as we are going through this Christmas season, help us not to just see you as an infant. <laughs> but in that infancy, all the things that you came to do, that you are a king, and that we may continually keep you king over our life, over our ways, that we accept your sword, that we cry out for your peace, and that you bring it this Christmas season, through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may be made more like unto you, that we may be closer to you, and that through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we can know your ways, see your heart, and have power through your name. Thank you so much, Lord. And be with each one here as we head out. In Jesus' name, amen.